What's up, everyone? Uh, welcome back to NYU Grad's Daily Podcast. It's Sunday. Hope everyone had a great weekend. Uh, you might be listening to this on Monday morning. I'm going to try to release this episode Sunday evening, just in case we have anyone that um, would like to consume the content before the start of the week. But um, today's episode, I'm going to call it It's Personal, like how Dion Sanders, uh, Coach Prime, is saying on ESPN and all the sports uh, news sites. I've been following the Colorado Buffaloes just because it's on the news so much. I'm a big Deion Sanders fan, so it's great to see him um, doing well at this level. But, man, um, I I went to NYU, obviously, so we didn't really have a sports team. Um, It's kind of embarrassing. Our, our basketball team is, I think, at the time in the 90s, uh, Division Three, And the team's name at the time uh, were the Wildcats, right? But uh, NYU's, you know, uh, I guess, uh, I don't even know what you call it. It's not a mascot, but, you know, the names of many of their teams are, are the Violets. So, yeah, we're the Violets. So it was never a sports school. And I always envied uh, Division One universities like uh, Colorado. I actually, to give you some, to stay on the theme of it's personal, um, I did go to NYU, uh, but I also applied and got into uh, uh, universities like USC, Boston University, uh, Penn State, and Colorado. I never went. I actually decided to stay here. Uh, but I am always curious, uh, not with regret, just more like, hey, I wonder what would have happened if I went to some of these big campus out of New York schools. And uh, I think it's really interesting that uh, Deion Sanders is now coaching two sons and is mentoring uh, Travis uh, Hunter, who's like a shadow image of Deion Sanders. He's playing both uh, defense and offense. And the game was great. I was up to like 2 in the morning. It went to double overtime. But these kids are really putting on a show. Um, so uh, it was a vicious hit on Travis Hunter, which I thought was pretty dirty. And I'm not sure what injuries he has, but I think he sustained rib injuries and he's going to be out for a few weeks. Uh, but, yeah, it's uh, it was a crazy game. But uh, back to the matter at hand, you know, before I jump into the actual trees here, when I look at the charts and the data, it's really a coin toss, right? Like if if you don't watch the markets every day, you're busy with your nine to five career, your family, you're probably you probably don't even have enough time to see what uh, spend the time and see what I'm seeing on a daily basis, and you're just you know, hey, my advisor isn't calling me. Uh, so I'm just going to leave it alone and uh, hopefully hope for the best. All my coworkers are saying, hey, you know, shares are going to come back. And, you know, on the surface level, there's really not much to worry about. If you look at the S&P 500, we're like 8% off of last year's lifetime highs. So all we would need to do is go up 8%. So you could have like, you know, a 2% update here, a 1% update here, and we could slowly just creep back up the back half of the year 
to all-time lifetime highs very easily, especially if uh, this Wednesday uh, the Federal Reserve and Jerome Powell uh, say something that's interpreted as being dovish or, you know, spineless uh, and saying, oh, you know what, our job with inflation is done. We have, we have killed inflation. We see much progress. We don't need to hike anymore. And while we're staying at these rates for a little longer, the next move, most likely than not, will be a cut. If anything they say is construed as a pause and a cut, we can easily go to lifetime highs on the indexes, on the Magnificent Seven, and we'll just rock it to the end of the year. Very easy to do because we're right there. We're just knocking on the door. We're sitting on the 50-day moving average, which is uh, objectively and um, logically a place of defense where Wall Street will defend. It's just, you know, the only analogy I can make is uh, the red zone for football or fourth quarter, right? Like no one plays defense in the NBA till the fourth quarter. That's what that 58-day line is. It's like, all right, let's go. Let's defend. Because if we lose the 50-day, then there will be more at risk. So the upside uh, potential is definitely there. Um, But when you take a look under the hood and you start to look at sectors, interest rate-sensitive sectors, real estate as a sector, semiconductors, the transportation index, um, it paints a totally different picture where you have deterioration underneath the hood and the mega cap tech names are still holding up a lot of the indexes. Um, So the flip side is, depending on what the Fed and Jerome Powell say on Wednesday, we can also easily lose the 50-day moving average and start to descend to the 200-day. I mean, some people will look at the 150 or the 100-day. I get it. But the big one is the 200-day moving average when you look at a long-term picture. So that's kind of we're in this weird zone. Flip a coin, whatever the Fed says, however it's construed, we can go to lifetime highs or we can lose the 50-day and start to descend to the 200-day. And I'll post um, with the show notes a chart that signifies this. Um, But yeah, that's kind of my overall analysis of where we are going into the Fed Day this week. Um, You know, Thursday was very bullish. Very, very bullish. It was a broad uh, rally across everything. You heard it on my show. Every sector was green. Well, Friday, every sector was red. You know, after you have a bullish day like Thursday, you would hope that buyers step in and try to attempt a follow-through day, confirming Thursday's bullish action with volume. You know, we're right there. It would have been so easy for bullish opportunities to continue to run. Um, And I noticed, and I mentioned on Wednesday's podcast, hey, 
we're kind of bouncing here, even though the yields are high. I, I know I said this, you can check my notes and, and replay Wednesday and Thursday, but I also noted that you can't have yields, interest rates rise at the same time as risk assets. So usually one will uh, tell the truth. It'll resolve usually within that day, the day after, or the next few sessions. And it's really getting uh, bumpy. It's like motion sickness, right? One day we're up 300, one day we're down 300. And usually that's not a good sign. Um, so the other thing that also happened on Friday, I was very skeptical because usually when you have a threat of a union uh, strike, especially a big one like this, they usually will negotiate uh, right before the deadline. But the UAW went on strike. If you don't know the particulars, you can research more about it. But the summary is that the UAW strategically chose three factories across the auto, U.S. automakers, uh, the ones that are most profitable for uh, U.S. makers, like I think one was the factory that makes the Jeep Wrangler. The other one was like the Ford um, Broncos. Um, and like 13,000 workers are on strike right now. But the risk here is that the longer this goes on, more unions, potentially in healthcare, education, uh, public sectors, uh, will say, hey, look at what the UAW was able to do. Let's let's follow suit. And then it becomes a uh, labor strike spiral. Um, and then I think I saw Obama post something that he's behind the workers and the union. Uh, and then there was also a posting, uh, obviously Biden mentioned something that he was sending to to. Uh, executives from his team to help with the negotiations. So this is something to watch for sure. Um, on one side, you have the car companies who are claiming if they give in to the demands of the UAW, that eventually they will go bankrupt. The, the UAW is saying, well, in 2008 great financial crisis, we gave concessions along with the government bailout so that all the automakers could survive. Since 2008, you, the automaker, have not given us anything. So it's time to pony up, uh, at least to keep up with inflation. And the workers are basically asking for um, a less tiered wage structure. So I think for some of them, if you start today, it takes eight years to ramp up your hourly wages to the max hourly wage. They're asking for no ramp. So like once you start, you're at the max. The car companies are offering four years, I think. But there's a lot of other things, too. Like they want a four-day work week versus a five-day work week. Um, so they're very far apart, both sides. So I don't think this is going to be resolved on Monday. The other thing that you need to keep a, a track uh, uh, keep track of is yields because yields is popping. Yields are like at 4.33%, and they're about to break out. The, the the high the recent high is 4.36 so if you see the 10 year yield above 4.36 we're at all time highs uh, for for the near for like the past <laughs> since who knows like a decade plus uh, and we're just going to keep going higher the other one is oil 
I mean, when I took a look at the chart of um, CL, which is crude oil, it looks like we're going to go north of 100 for sure and potentially test the 130-ish recent high. And if we go anything above 150, that's all-time high. So I don't know if, you know, the Middle East, the Saudis are our friends, but they're cutting back on inventory and production uh, to make sure that oil doesn't collapse again. Um, I believe we as a country have depleted a lot of our reserves for oil. Um, and now it's just a strategic move to fight inflation from the administration to keep oil prices more affordable. But we're at a dangerously low level for crude oil of our own reserves, and we're not drilling here. So if the demand, demand can fall, right? And if we have a recession, demand for oil will fall. But there's going to be a baseline where people still need oil and gas, uh, for not just for cars, but for energy and for production. So oil potentially could really skyrocket here. So that's another thing to watch out for. So I know for the most part, I've been saying watch yield and currencies. But now I'm asking you to also uh, have a tertiary view of oil prices and crude oil. Um, when you take a look at breadth uh, on Friday session, we had 130 new highs. 325 new lows so 3x new lows 27% of shares were advancing versus 68% declining and we're back to about 70% of shares below the 50-day moving average if you recall we were as low as like 52% below the 50-day moving average 52% of shares below the um, or 58% below the 50-day moving average but we're almost back to 70 again um, I mentioned the semiconductors. If you look at SMH, if um, this breaks like the 143 level, we can easily take the elevator and test the 200 day, which is at about 150, um, 150 right now. And if that breaks, we can easily go down to like 120. Uh, so, you know, very precarious situation here. I'll also um, post all the sector analysis or the sector groups, but every sector was read. What should be concerning everyone is the leading sector to the downside is technology. Never a good sign. Uh, what was strong on Friday? You had gold, precious metals that were strong despite yields being high. That tells me that uh, money is moving to safe havens. Volatility uh, caught a bid and is bouncing off of a uh, pretty much lifetime lows again uh, and yields were strong. What was weak? I'm not going to go through everything because I'd be here for hours. But if you look at NVIDIA, it sliced below the 50-day moving average handedly very easily with volume, closing down 3.69%. Carvana down 6.5%. Beezer Homes down 6.2%. Arm, which just IPO'd this week, uh, down 4.47%, KB Homes down 4.25%, Adobe just re released earnings this past week, they're down 4.2%, uh, 
uh, Kura Sushi, which is just on my radar because I mentioned it a few times. They were doing really well. They're down 3.8%. Toll Brothers, Home Builder, down 3.5%. Hovnanian, Home Builder, down 3.11%. Synopsis, which was super strong um, in, in the past decade, uh, down 3%. Uh, ticker symbol AI down 3%, SMH down 3.03%, Crocs down 3%. You get the picture. I could go on uh, for a- another two hours here. Um, that's really it. That's kind of the summary of the Friday session, what to watch this coming week. There's other reports coming out, but put this on your calendar. Wednesday, 2 p.m., Fed rate decision, September 20th. I'll post a link to other economic reports coming out. But on Monday, um, you have Home Builder Confidence at 10. Housing starts on Tuesday and building permits on Tuesday. But Wednesday is the Fed rate decision and the uh, uh, Jerome Powell's press conference at 2.30. And Thursday is another biggie with initial jobless claims. Uh, So it's going to be, I think, a pivotal week. I, I really believe how this week this coming week goes after the federate decision and how we close on this friday september 22nd is going to be how the rest of the year will go Uh, with that i will see you guys and ladies on the next podcast thank you again before i forget please do me a kindness and uh, hit um, subscribe on substack Uh, it's free And if you uh, also can do me a favor, go to Substack Notes and follow me there as well. Thanks and have a great day.